And so here today, today what I want to do is something a little bit different. Uh, today what I want to do is I want to talk a little bit about where we are going as Bethany and also where we've come from. Because whether or not you realize it, today is actually our annual general meeting. It's our kind of our town hall. And so I want to actually talk a little bit about vision and future and past and all of that together. Next week, we're going to start a brand new series. It's one I promise you, you won't want to miss because at least it's not going to be boring. Okay? I'm going to talk for four weeks about the politics of Jesus. How does that sound to people? Yeah. <laughs> some, of you are like, some of you are like, this may be the worst idea you've ever had, Andrew. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I actually just think you should address, like, difficult things. And so we're going to do, in church, what they tell you not to do in polite company. We're going to talk about politics and religion together. How does that sound, right? Okay, whew, yeah. But you're not going to lure me into preaching that sermon right now, okay? That's for next week. Okay, that's what's going to happen. So that's next week. But today, today I really want to pick up on our theme from our AGM that's going to happen after this service, uh, which is really all about bigger tables and more open doors for people to come and to experience Christ. And last week, Larry shared so well. Uh, wasn't it a gift to have Larry sharing uh, last week? Yeah, yeah, we can say thank you to Larry. Yeah, yeah. He's here. If you didn't say hi to him, he was at his door and he was sitting there in the first service. And he was a really gift for him to share about home, which is also connecting with our belonging series. And so with all of these themes together, what I want to do today is I want to offer you one story that I think can help us understand who we have been at Bethany and also who we are going to continue to be here at Bethany. That what we talk about here is that we believe in changing the world starting right here in Niagara, and that happens through being a caring community to a hurting world. So today I want to offer you a story that I think can help to shape our imaginations about the kind of community we want to continue to be. That can be kind of in some ways like a North Star for our direction, okay? And it's a story not from me, okay? It's a story from, you want to take a guess who? Jesus is the answer, okay? Yeah, I wasn't trying to like trick you all out there, okay? No, it's a story from Jesus, and it's found in Luke 14. So if you have your Bibles, open them up there. We're going to take a look at a story of Jesus. Now, the book of Luke can be structured in many different ways, meaning that you can break down its structure in many different ways. For many people, and this is all true, the book of Luke is about a journey of maturity. It's about discipleship. It's about what following Jesus looks like practically in a discipleship manner. Another way you can break down uh, the book of Luke is actually through the theme of money. I don't know if you know this, but Luke talks more about money than anything else, any other gospel, actually. Another thing that you can actually structure the book of Luke through, and this is my favorite thing, actually, is you can look at the structure of Luke through meals and eating. That, in all honesty, if you read the book of Luke, Jesus is either at a meal, going to a meal, or leaving a meal. Like, the entire thing is about food and eating and banquets and all of that, which I think fits well for us at Bethany, because we like food, amen? Right? That might be the first time you've said amen to something, right? That's a good thing. Right? Food, eating, all of that. So today, I want to share with you a story about a meal that Jesus shares at a meal, okay? That's what we're going to take a look at in Luke 14 here. And here's kind of the context. I'll, I'll read a little bit to kind of get us set up for the story that Jesus shares that I think is really determinative both of our past and also our future. So we read this. One Sabbath day, Jesus went to eat dinner in the home of a leader of the Pharisees, and the people were watching him closely. So here we get set up to the context. Jesus is going to a meal, okay? And in that day and age, meals were incredibly structured, meaning who you sat with was all based on your social kind of status. It was really structured. You couldn't just have big open meals. That wasn't what was going on. Back then, you would have meals that are very, very ritualized and structured to maintain, like, social hierarchy, okay? So here we have two groups in the audience. The text is clear. There's the Pharisees, like the religious professionals, like the people who are righteous, pure, holy, all that kind of stuff, right, who follow all the law and seek to invite people to do that. 
But then you also have the public as well. Luke makes sure there's the two audiences, right? We read this. Went to eat dinner in the home of the leader of the Pharisees, and also the people were watching him closely. So there's kind of these religious leaders and the people. And what ends up happening at this meal, like other meals, is that people start jostling for position to be seated in the best places, right? Because it was all about social hierarchy and ranking and status and all of that. Jesus sees this, and not shocking, Jesus has none of this, right? He doesn't like this. So he says to all the people, you need to actually behave differently. This is his kind of summary in verse 11. He says those, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He's teaching the people, you need to live with humility, that humility, whether or not you realize this, humility is Christ-likeness, actually. The Bible is really, really clear with this, that Jesus was lowly and humble at his heart, right? So humility is Christ-likeness. And so he's telling people, you need to live with humility. And then he turns to the host of the meal, and he says this to the host. He's talked to the guests, and now he says to the host. He says this, when you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said this, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they will invite you back. And that will be your only reward. There was this like, reciprocal relationship thing that would happen. If you got invited out to a meal, you were expected to then invite them out to a meal. And it would be this way of maintaining social hierarchy and also kind of moving up in things. Okay? But Jesus says, instead, don't do this. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, and the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. And I'm telling you, as soon as Jesus said this, there is an immense levels of tension in the room, right? Because where is he giving this advice? At a banquet, at a meal, right? Where none of this is happening, right? Where the host has just invited the rich relatives, people who can actually reciprocate, right? right? And so Jesus says, don't do basically what we're doing now, right? This isn't how we're called to live. And then someone, it says this, literally the next verse. Hearing this, a man at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. This must have been like just like kind of like a tension relief. People were like, oh yeah, yeah, let's talk about the future, not like what's happening right now, right? But Jesus isn't going to let this go. And so as he replies with a story to help people try to understand how we are called to live, what God's kingdom looks like, follow with me, not in the future, but in today, 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 how we are called to live in God's kingdom today, it says this in the text. Jesus replies with this story. And this is the story that I think, I think was really both representative of our past and also representative of our future. He says this. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready but they all began making excuses. One said, I've just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. The master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town. Invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And after the servant had done this, he reported, there is still room for more. There's still room for more. So his master said, then go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find, anyone you find to come to the banquet so that the house will be full. And none of those who I first invited will even get the smallest taste of my banquet. This is the text in the story I want to just sit with a bit here this morning that I really do believe can help us to understand both who we have been at Bethany and who we are going to continue to be. And I see three themes in this text. The themes of grace, reversal, 
and room for more. Okay? Grace, reversal, and room for more. First thing I see, according to Jesus, is grace, is grace. I don't know if you realize this, but if you've been a part of Bethany for a while, you will. Grace is the shape of God's kingdom, amen? We need to say amen to that because that's true, okay? So grace is the shape of God's kingdom, amen? Amen. We need to be on board with grace, okay? Like, I don't know if you ever get tired of me preaching about grace, but Jesus doesn't, okay? Because that's actually how his kingdom functions. It always functions according to grace. It looks like grace. It has a rhythm and contours of grace. And we get actually invited into this in the very first statement. Right? What does it say? It says this. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. It's many. It's great. Right? These are actually symbols of grace. That when Jesus starts talking about the kingdom of God and what this banquet looks like, it is not like a skimpy banquet. Okay? It's not like some high tea with tiny little sandwiches. Okay? It is a place. It is a place of abundance, of overflowing like lavishness, where there is enough for everyone. This is a picture of grace. And I'm telling you, as soon as Jesus started talking about this, of a great feast and invitations, do you notice? Many invitations going out, right? That nobody deserves them. Nobody's worked for them. Nobody earns them. These are just invitations that the master gives out. Right? I'm telling you, as soon as he said this, the public would have been like, okay, I would love to be a part of this. Because back then in that day and age, you might not realize this, but back then in that day and age, 90% of the people lived at subsistence levels. Okay? So what that means is they barely have enough food for that day. It's like day to day. So for this audience to all of a sudden hear that there's a huge banquet where everybody is invited, where there's like lavish amounts of food and abundance, this would be good news to them. They would feel that this is grace, and it is, and it is grace. But what would occur to them what would occur to them is that this is a party they would love to go to, but that the vast majority of people would never be invited to. That you needed to have enough standing, social status, and privilege to be invited to these great banquets. So there's this theme of grace in the introduction. There's also clearly the theme of grace at the end of the parable. Where what do we see? Where those who are never invited get included. Where those who are never welcomed get welcomed in. Where the forgotten and the overlooked ones are actually brought into the party that there is a theme of grace that runs throughout this parable because the theme of grace runs throughout the very heart of God. Right? It's part of the very heart of God. So the first thing we see is grace. But then we also see this idea of reversal, that what you expect to happen in God's kingdom doesn't always happen. Right? And we see this with the guests right, who were first actually invited. So we read this. When the banquet was ready, the master sent his servants to tell the guests, Come, the banquet is ready. Basically, it's party time. That's, that's what that is, right? It's time to party together. But they all began making excuses. One said, I've just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen, and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. And another said, I just got married, so I can't come. And here, I'm telling you, the original audience would be incredibly interested, because this is surprising and unexpected, right? Notice with me two things. First of all, all these people who are denying and rejecting showing up, they've already accepted the invitation. These aren't people who just receive it and saying, I can't come. These are guests who said yes, and when there is time for the party, are now saying, I'm not going to show up. They're backing out, right? Notice what the text says. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant not to invite the guests, it says in the text, but to tell the guests the time is now. Right? This isn't invitation. This is actually saying, hey, we're ready. That would happen in that day and age. You'd have to prepare for this, right? You'd slaughter an animal. You'd get everything going, and you would go and tell the people, it is now time to come and to party. 
And all the excuses that are used are just incredibly, incredibly weak. Like, they're all pretty lame. They are not good excuses. You can see this in the text. I mean, the first guy says this. He says, excuse me, I have just bought a field and must inspect it. As if that just instantly happened, right? And this is also true, okay, two things. One, you don't buy a piece of land without inspecting it. And second, if you bought it, you can probably inspect it tomorrow, right? Like, you own it. It's not changing. Like, that's actually not an excuse. The second one is honestly even for our modern-day ears, it sounds made up. Like, this one he says, I just bought five pairs of oxen. I want to give them a ride, right? Like that, like, that just sounds made up. I think that that is, like, the ancient-day equivalent to, like, the dog ate my uh, homework kind of thing, right? These are really, really weak excuses. The third one is even worse. The guy just says, I'm married, so I can't come. I'm like, as if somehow if you're married, you can no longer go to a party. I don't, I don't understand, Right? It's not like he's got married that day. It's just like, no, I'm married, so I guess I'm out for all parties. And you see the reaction. The reaction of the master is pretty instant. It's pretty strong. It's pretty fierce. It actually says that he is furious. So he says, so he says to his servant, go out into the streets, the alleys of this town, and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And here, here we see this huge reversal of how God's kingdom works. That it's not for the rich, the powerful, people who have five pairs of oxen and are buying land and all of that. That it is for anyone and everyone. That all of these guests who weren't welcomed in are now going to be welcomed in. All these people who weren't included are now going to be included. All these people who weren't guests are now going to be guests. And notice again the theme of grace. That these people have not done anything to earn this. They're just being welcomed in as they are. That what we see at the heart of this story is that there's this reversal in God's kingdom where those who are on the margins are brought into the center, where the poor take precedence over the rich, where, to use Jesus' words, sinners will enter the kingdom ahead of the righteous and the pious. That's what's going on here in this parable. And then the last thing I want to take a look at, last thing I want to take a look at, how there is this theme of grace and this reversal of what we'd expect. I also want to take a look at the heart of the master, the heart of Jesus. I'm just going to be up front with this, in case you didn't realize this, the master is Jesus in this parable, okay? Right? It's going to reveal his heart. Listen to what, what the text says. He says, go quickly out into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, listen to this line. I, I love this line. There is still room for more. There is still room for more. I believe that is true about God's kingdom all the time. That there is still room for more in his kingdom. And the next line, we start to see really the master's heart of it. So he says this, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone, urge anyone you find to come. Listen to what he wants. So that the house will be full. So the house will be full. Here we see, we really see what God's kingdom looks like with those two lines. Really, that there is a desire for the room for more, and that the master's desire is that the house would be full. He wants to see everybody invited and welcomed in, right? There is this energy in the story of this servant going out to all the forgotten, overlooked places where nobody is noticed, and that those people are welcomed in. Those people are brought in. Those people are invited and become honored guests to this lavish, abundant party. This is a picture of what God's kingdom looks like. That the heart of the master, kind of put it this way, is really he just wants to throw a killer party. That's what's going on. 
Right? He wants to throw a killer party. Or as my kids might say, they want the party to be hopping or whatever. You want, that's actually not what they would say. How they would really say it, okay, if you want to know, is that they want it to be lit, high key, not mid-dad, no cap. That's what they would say, right? And if you don't know what that is, ask your kids, okay? Or a teenager or whatever, right? That what's going on in this, what's going on in this story is that the master wants to have a party where everyone is welcomed in because there is always, always room for more. And this, this is the story that I want to invite you to really reflect on that I think is actually reflective of our past as Bethany and also where we were going. That what we see in this story is really three things. We see that God's kingdom is about grace, a radical reversal, and that there is always room for more. That's what God's kingdom is about. Grace, a reversal, and that there is always room for more. And this is good news, amen? It is good news for us. It is good news for those who aren't here. It is good news for the entire world that God's kingdom is about grace, this reversal, where those who never get invited are invited, and that there is always, always, always room for more. And this is who we are. This is who we have been. And this is who we are going to continue to be. You might not know this, but did you know that next year is a pretty important anniversary for our church? Next year, it's kind of hitting me. Next year, anyone want to take a guess for how long our church has been serving and ministering here in Niagara and in St. Catharines? 125 is the answer. Did you know that our church has been ministering since 1899? Is that not incredible? Yeah, we can clap for that. That is pretty amazing. Uh, 125 years. 125 years, that's what you're a part of. That's how long this legacy has been, right? As of next year, 125 years. And do you know that those themes of grace, of a radical reversal, and room for more have been a part of our history for that 125 years? Do you want to know who, who our church was started by in 1899? I love this, Larry. <laughs> ooh, ooh. That's a good joke, that is... Yes, it is true. It is Larry. <laughs> We're celebrating his 125th birthday next year. Oh, my gosh. That's so funny. Oh, yeah. Where was I? <laughs> oh, all right. Yeah. Okay. Back to my sermon. Um, yes. Yes, yes. 1899. Uh, here's who it was started by. And this is like a radical reversal. It was started by two women in 1899. Yeah, that's pretty... That is, that is something worth clapping about. So if you want to know what we believe about women in ministry, it's that, okay? It's that. That our church was started by women in 1899. Like, that's rare today. Imagine the radical reversal 125 years ago, right? Like, this is incredible. This is a part of who we are. This is the legacy of what God has been doing in and through this people and the space for 125 years. If you go back, actually, to that first church, it was actually located downtown. That's where they began that kind of mission. It was a mission is what it was. And back then, um, some of you are old enough also to remember this, because this continued for many years afterwards. Uh, but there was, like, things called Sunday evening services. Anybody old enough to remember going to those? Yeah? Yeah, some of us are in those spaces, right? And so back then, they had Sunday evening services. And there are stories after stories after stories, actually, of being in the downtown core, of what would happen is some people would come out of the bars, right? And they would have difficulties. They would have, obviously, addictions and that sort of thing. And they would come to the church, some of them actually just stumbling in, 
Those are the stories that would happen. And you want to know what they found in our church? They did not find judgment. They did not find condemnation. They did not find shame. What they found was grace in Jesus Christ and that their lives were changed because our church has always been about grace and that there is always, always, always room for more. Amen? There's room for more. And this, this theme has continued. Actually, the only reason we are here at this location right now is because of this idea of room for more. The back in the 70s, Back in the 70s, there was this pastor who came to Bethany, okay, okay, he had a full head of hair then, okay, okay, he was bold, he was courageous, he was okay with ruffling a few feathers, I don't know if you know this, okay, he was quite okay with ruffling a few feathers, and he showed up at our location, which was Linwell and Geneva back then, okay, and that space did not have room for more, and this pastor, in case you don't know what I'm talking about, is Larry, right? I know, and he served here for 43 years. But when Larry and Sharon got there, what they realized is actually is that if they're going to continue with God's ministry, that they needed to move the church to its location today so there would be room for more. And so Larry started that process, but it was not universally approved of. Not everybody was on board. Back then, obviously, to move a church and all of that sort of stuff, you had to take a vote, and they needed a certain percentage. Do you know the percentage that they got? 1% more than they needed. And Larry's like, we're on. <laughs> right? Like, he was, seriously. Like, he was on. And then you know what he continued to do for 43 years? Preached and taught and led with grace. That is why I'm so grateful to be a part of this place. That what initially drew me to Bethany, right, was actually this idea of grace that's been a part of it. Larry and I are so different, right? One, I have hair, right? So there's that. <laughs> okay? Okay, two, two, I don't use a ton of maps in teaching, okay? So sometimes that doesn't happen. And three, I don't mock Maple Leaf fans from the stage, okay? So there's a lot of differences. There's a lot of differences. I do pray for Maple Leaf fans, but there you go. So there's a lot of differences. But the one thing that's been consistent and is the same, the one thing that drew us is actually the values of grace, of vulnerability, of discipleship, of this idea that when you come to Jesus, there is this radical reversal, and that there is always room for more in God's kingdom, that this church has been leading and actually practicing that for years and years and years. The only reason, the only reason that we have amazing ministries like Celebrate Recovery, like Grief Share that we heard of today, like all of our support and recovery, is that we believe so deeply in grace and welcoming that anyone, no matter what you are facing or holding on to, is welcome in this place. This is who we have been for 125 years. This is what I'm going to preach today. This is who we are going to be for another 125 years. This is never changing. Okay? This is who we are. This is who we are. This is who we are. What do we see in this story then? We see grace, radical reversals, and room for more. So what's my main point today? My main point is really simple. It's just this, that at Bethany, we follow Jesus with a heart of grace, believing that there is always room for more. Believing that there is always room for more. That's what this story is about. I want to let you, I don't want to let you think about it and let it set kind of the tone for the next 125 years, because I believe this is who we are. So practically, what does this mean for us today? Because I, as I often say here, we don't come here just for information, but actually like for transformation, to be changed, to experience and encounter Christ. So what does this mean for us here today? I think it means two things. I think it means two things. One, that I think it's a reminder that we need to receive grace and that we can receive grace. I also think it's a challenge for us to extend grace and invite people into grace. So first, I think this is a reminder to receive grace. Here's what I want to say. That today, today, if you're in any way, if you're in any way feel like left out and forgotten and overlooked, 
if you in any way feel broken and not unsure if you actually fit in church, that what happens in this parable really is that the servant goes to find people who are kind of hiding and forgotten. We might not be hiding and forgotten in like laneways, but we might be hiding and forgotten actually in plain sight today. So many of us don't even feel we can be real and honest with who we actually are. Here's what I want to say to each and every one of you, and myself included, okay, myself included, is that everyone is welcome here in this place. And that Christ goes out to welcome all of those who are forgotten, marginalized, and not included. That's what this story is about. So today, if you are unsure if you fit in this place, here's my four words for you, okay? Here's my four words for you. You are welcome here. Amen? Amen. You are welcome here. You are welcome here. You are welcome here. Because there is always room for more. So today, if you need grace, here's my invitation. Just say to Jesus, I need your grace. I need to receive it. Just say yes to his invitation. And today, if you've never accepted Christ before, today's the day to do that. To just say yes to Jesus. He wants to welcome you to the party, to the celebration, to the banquet, to his kingdom. Okay? That's available for each and every one of us. Secondly, I think that if we receive grace, guess what we need to do? We need to give grace, right? We need to give grace. We receive so we can share, right? We receive so we can give. We receive so we can invite others to also receive it as well. So I want to invite you, and I want to challenge you this week to be somebody who gives grace, right? In the story, we see almost this, like, outward momentum, right, where the, uh, the servant goes out, and he finds people who have been forgotten and left behind and all of that. Who in your life has maybe forgotten and overlooked? What neighbor, which classmate at school, with someone in your office, who can you invite to partake in grace? You can invite them into the kingdom. And you know what honestly is a good step? Invite them to church. Invite them to church. Because this is a place where we practice grace, vulnerability, and discipleship together. So today, what is my main point? It's that we here at Bethany, we follow Jesus. We have a heart of grace and that there is always room for more. And then practically, what does it look like? It looks like receiving grace and then inviting others to join in the party and receive grace with us as well. That's what I want to invite you and challenge you to do this week. Would you invite someone else to experience the grace of God? Because it is good. It is here. It is for every single person because there is always, always, always room for more. Let's pray. God, I ask wherever we might be today, I pray. I pray, might we receive your grace? May we receive your welcome. May we receive your invitation that we are welcomed into the party. And God, today I specifically pray for anyone who has not accepted Christ, that we might do that here in this moment by saying yes and letting us know so that we can celebrate with them. Today, God, I pray, might each and every one of us receive the grace and the goodness that you have for us. Then I also pray, Lord, would you help us to actually be challenged to go out and to share the good news of grace and to welcome others into the kingdom, to be your ambassadors of grace and reconciliation. Might we continue, God, in this trajectory that you have started 125 years ago, and might we continue to live this way for the next 125 years with grace, with a radical reversal of Christ, and a willingness to be inviting people because there is always room for more. So with that, we pray this all in the wonderful name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.